Heavenly Father, we come before you and we again just give you thanks for this Christmas Eve service. You are the one that has set the wheels in motion for salvation. You have determined by your grace and your mercy that you would call out a people for yourself to live with you for all of eternity. And we thank you for this choice you have made in choosing us, those who are destined for salvation. But we had asked, Lord, that you would help us to really grow in your word, understand the story of the incarnation, and not be quickly swayed by stories that are fanciful and made up on how you move and what you do in the world. For we understand, Lord, that by your son, Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. There is no other religion. There is no other path that leads to heaven. You have claimed exclusivity. So, Father, help us to really know what you have done in the past and what you will do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to recount the story, in Luke chapter 2, the story is kind of spelled out, and if you mix that with Matthew over there and put those two together and you read about the Christmas story where it all began, it began in Luke where you have this guy named Zachariah. Zechariah is a senior citizen, and he is called as part of the Levitical priesthood to come and serve at the temple. As he's serving at the temple there, the people uh, that are in charge, they cast lots to see who will go in and who will trim the wicks on the lampstand that's off to, if you're looking at the entrance to the tabernacle or the temple off to the left you have the lampstand that would be this side for you and off to the right you have the table of showbread and then in front of that right before the curtain that leads to the holy of holies you would have the altar of incense and his lot came up that was cast that he would go in and he would add some incense and so he went in there everybody was outside still praying and as he went in there he went to add some incense on the altar of incense up there, and an angel appeared to him. It was the angel Gabriel. And, of course, he was dumbfounded, and Gabriel said, Do not be afraid. And he brought him some good news. He told him that he is going to have a son. Now, this is a senior citizen that he's telling him, You're going to have a son. I read one account that is extra biblical. Elizabeth, his wife, was 88 years old. And they're going to have a son. How happy could you be at 88 that you're going to have a son? And so he is in there and he goes, how will I know that this is going to come true? Because he's doubting. He has those doubts that arise. And the angel Gabriel said, well, let me tell you something. Because you doubt, you're not going to be able to speak. And so when he left, when he was all done, and he was told that this wife of his was going to have a child and that his name must be John and that he was going to be great in the land, a wonderful prophet. And of course, if you were here Sunday, you heard that John was the greatest man ever born up until that time, up until Jesus Christ. And he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, even though we learn about him in the New Testament. And so as Zechariah came out of the temple there, He couldn't speak. He was trying to make hand motions, and the people outside knew that something had happened, but they couldn't really describe, or he couldn't really describe what it was. And so all of a sudden, nine months later, a year later, she's pregnant, and she's giving birth to a baby. Now, before that happens, she is pregnant for a period of about six months. 
And during that period of time, the angel Gabriel shows up again. And he shows up to Mary. And there's Mary. Now, Mary is a young teenager. She's probably 15 or under. That's how old she is. Back then, you got married at a young age. Boys became men at age 13. Now, I don't know how old Joseph was, but he was working probably as a carpenter at that time in the town of Nazareth, in the city of Nazareth. And that's where Mary was as well, in Nazareth. And so the angel Gabriel showed up to her and told her that there would be this time where she would be giving or given a child and the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and cause her to become pregnant. So her relative, which is Elizabeth, that is probably 88 years old, is pregnant at six months during this period of time. Mary has Gabriel show up and tell her, you're going to be pregnant too. Now, two women that are pregnant when they get together, and they're so happy that they're both having babies, what do they do? They, you know, there's a, a certain high-pitched squeal that comes out with women that get together. They see each other, and they're just happy, and oh, I like it. And they kind of go off on that, and that's exactly what happened with Elizabeth, who is 88. This is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45. She spoke in a loud voice at 88. She said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And they're probably hugging and kissing, you know, just, oh, it's so good to see you. And Mary, at that point, she becomes a prophetess. She just busts into this little girl. She just busts into this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His, or excuse me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds With his arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. And so Mary showed up, stayed with Elizabeth for the next three months. By this time, she would have been three or four months pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth gives birth to the child. And as the child is born in eight days past, because in the Old Testament it was necessary to redeem the firstborn son, and you would have to take that son to the temple, and you would have to offer an offering. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you would give two doves or two pigeons, and they would sacrifice those, a blood offering, so to speak. And so the child would be redeemed. And this all goes back to the Passover that the firstborn child had to be redeemed. And so they did this. And when Zacharias showed up with his wife, Elizabeth, who was still mute, he could not speak. They were going to name the child at the circumcision at the temple. And they all said, well, his name should be Zachariah. And his wife says, Elizabeth says, no. It is not supposed to be Zechariah. It's supposed to be John. And they turn to John. What is this? Not not Zechariah, but John. 
And so he waves with his hands to get a writing implement, and he writes down, his name is John. And then all of a sudden he can speak. And I bet he had a lot to say after that. And so from that point on, Mary decided to go home. Now, if you remember the story, Mary and Joseph were not married yet. Now, Joseph could have been a teenager. Some people say, no, he was really old. There is a tradition that says he was married before and he had other children. And those are the brothers and sisters of Jesus, that Mary was a perpetual virgin and all that. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that Mary had lots of children that God would have blessed them with a huge family when it came time to eat. Everybody gathered around being a carpenter. He probably had a big table out there, Joseph made, and all the kids would sit around there with Jesus being the eldest. And so what happened as the birth approached for Mary, there was a census that was to be taken by Caesar Augustus. He put this out through the entire land that everybody had to return to their own hometown And the reason for that was so that they could register and be taxed. The tax ban never lets anybody get away. So they had to take a trip all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Now that's about 80 miles. Walking 80 miles. You know, you see the pictures, and I've I've brought this up before, but you've seen the pictures of Mary on the donkey, riding on the donkey, and she looks holy, and she has the halo, and her head's bent at about a 23-degree angle, and Joseph is walking in front, just dragging him along. It didn't happen that way. It happened like this. She's walking like this, you know, down the path, and it's up, and it's hilly. Jerusalem is up, and you have to go up to Jerusalem, and then down to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is real rocky. It's kind of on the side of a hill, and they use that area to take the wheat and they thresh it. So that's where they headed out. They, they got down to Bethlehem and Mary would have been in her 40th week. Now, can you imagine traveling in your 40th week? They won't even let you on an airplane if you're in your 40th week of pregnancy. And that's how long a pregnancy typically lasts is 40 weeks. And so she gets down there. I don't know how long it would have taken them, but when they got there, there was no place to stay. Obviously, you, you've heard about that. You've read that, where there was no room at the inn, and so they put them in a stable, in a manger. Now, the typical image that you see of a nativity scene, you see this little roof that is there, some backdrop, and you see a manger that is made out of wood, kind of like a V, and it has some hay in it, and the baby Jesus is laid in that. Probably wasn't like that at all. During that time, and you know, I I have always believed that Jesus was probably born in the springtime. There are some accounts that it may be around September 2nd that he was born. The shepherds would have still been in the field at that time. But they were put inside of this little area to hold cattle and feed them, especially in the winter. Now, sometimes, especially in Bethlehem, since you have these sloping areas with rocks and then there'll be some dirt and then it slopes again and it kind of slopes down towards Jericho is where it goes down towards that Jordan River is where it would lead to but if you had Mary and Joseph and they're coming in they go into this little stable area there could have been stone that they just cut out and in that stone that they cut out that can also be a manger and that's where they'd throw the feed that's where they'd throw the water and here's Mary looking at Joseph going No place to stay? No, no place to stay. No room at the inn. Any relatives around here that we know that we can stay at their house? 
No, there's no, anyone want to give up their room? The, the innkeeper's probably going, what? You look pretty pregnant there. You're not going to have a kid in my room, you know, that type of thing. Or I don't know what was going on, but they stuck him in this little stable area. And maybe it was a wood trough that was used. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a hewn out stone area. But Jesus, when he was born, he was wrapped up in swaddling clothes. You swaddle a baby. To swaddle a baby, you make them into a papoose. Is what you do. You wrap the strips of linen around them and you make them real tight and they, they get a little content and they squint a little bit and they're just placed inside of our baby's placed either in an incubator or placed in a little tray and that's what happens in a hospital. But this baby Jesus was placed in a feeding trough. That's where he went. Now, you always have in mind that, of course, Mary, when she gave birth, it was more like, pardon me, Joseph, I need to step aside and have a baby. And she would step aside and the baby is born. And she holds the baby and hands the baby to Joseph. That type of thing. It's all holy. Whoever here, who in here has ever been in a birthing room? It's not like that at all. Uh, The things that I've heard in a birthing room. And before, you know, right now, if you go to Grossmont and you have a baby, you have these separate soundproof rooms that are there and they're spread out pretty far and it's in this curve where the sound just goes out and dissipates that type of thing when our first daughter was born we went into Grossmont and there was an aisle going down here there's a room there it's about a five by five there's a room there a five by five and a room there that's five by five and all the doors are lined up and listening as you're going by is an incredible uh, event to witness and so you know as our child's being born it was it was a rough time the nurses are running around and everything and you could see joseph going oh hey what do i do next you know and he's figuring this out he's probably a young guy has no idea what to do and she's going don't touch me you know that type of thing she goes into transition it's hurting and most of the time a woman will say you did this to me but joseph could say it's not me i didn't do it i had nothing to do with that whatsoever and so she gives birth to jesus probably just wore out the first baby how long is the labor on her first baby can be for days we don't know how long she went through that but this is reality you know we fluff it up and make these glorious movies and there's no problem no stain no issue no no anything to come in and ruin the event as being holy and lifted up it was still a holy event it was so holy that once jesus was placed into the the trough there and in the swaddling clothes you know mary was probably kicking back going oh and oh, Joseph, water, whatever was going on, all of a sudden, out in the fields, not too far away, are these angel, or angels, are these shepherds that are out there. And they're probably around this little fire, and they're, they're just talking, yeah, little lamb chop, oh, it's good. And they're eating the lamb chop, or whatever they're eating, a little pita bread. And they're just talking with one another, and then all of a sudden, you hear this. I'm sure you probably heard something. But it goes, and heaven opens up. And who comes out? The angels singing, glory to God in the highest. You know, something like that. That's what they said. They said, glory to God in the highest. And they announced the birth of Jesus. Now, what do you think the shepherds did? The lamb chops probably fell out of their mouth. They fell back. They're, what on earth is going on? So they witness this, and the angels, they probably come right up to them and say, 
Hey, unto you there has been a child born. And that's what the scripture says. It goes on to say, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And so they got to witness this heaven opening up or these angels coming down kind of like uh, falling stars or something like that. I don't know what it was, but they just showed right up. These guys were amazed and they go, whoa, that was cool. Let's go see. Let's go see where this baby is. So these guys show up probably as a direct encouragement to Mary. I mean, what if you had your husband, your young husband, and you're trying to get a place to stay, and you're pregnant, and you're having not just Braxton Hicks, but you're having the full-on, you're, you're using the effleurage, you're saying, these are real contractions, and it's really hurting me. What are you going to do for me, Joseph? And then these shepherds show up, and they say, guess what we just witnessed? And it encouraged Mary. And it said in Scripture that she was encouraged by what happened. And she eventually stored up all these things in her heart that Jesus would do. And remember, John the Baptist has already been born. And this is another four months later, maybe maybe five months later, that Jesus is being born. And then the shepherds, they go through the town and they tell everybody what they saw. And everybody marveled. And so they decided to just kind of hang out. They hung out there for two years. They didn't stay in the stable for two years. More than likely, they had a home that they were in. And all of a sudden, here comes this group of guys from the east. And they're called the Magi. Now, by tradition, it's Belteshar or Belteshar or whatever it is, Casper and Melchior. <coughs> and those three, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And of course, those speak of the prophet, priest, and king, those types of things, the sacrifice that Jesus would make. And so they brought those, but first they went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they met with Herod. And Herod went to them secretly and said, I want you to tell me where exactly this Messiah is born. And so they said, okay, we'll tell you. We'll go check out where he is. And they went down. And we think that there are three wise men. There are probably many more than that. It was probably a caravan of these guys coming in. That's why it would have made such a news stink in Jerusalem at that time. So they went down to Bethlehem, which is about six miles away. And from Bethlehem, they showed up. They said, this is it. And that's where the star appeared. Now, the star would not have been in the starry heavens. It would have been in our atmosphere because they were able to follow it. I recently got an app to watch the rockets, you know, going off from Vandenberg. And when you go outside, you can see them going up. And they're still inside the atmosphere. And so these star, this star would have been inside of our atmosphere that was up there, but it was moving and it came to rest over the house where Jesus was. And they paid him homage. And then the Lord told him, go a different way. Don't go back the same way. And of course, we know the story that Joseph was awakened by the Lord himself and told him, get up, get out. There are people that seek to take the child's life. And he went down to Egypt, which would have been at least another 40 miles. So imagine traveling with maybe a two-year-old, 40 miles, maybe you had an animal, maybe you didn't, you have to pack everything up and you have to get out in the night. And they took off. They went down there until the death of Herod. Now, when Herod died, he had two sons that took over. One was in the area of Bethlehem and the other one was in the area of Nazareth. The first one, Archelaus, he was in charge 
down in the area of Bethlehem. And he was given a little bit more to violence. And so Joseph said, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to go up to Nazareth where his brother, Anipus, was up in that area ruling. It was a different Herod. Herod is a title. And so that's where he settled. That's the story of the birth of Jesus. And God, the Father, protected him in all of that. So why do we even recall all this? <coughs> Excuse me. Why do we remember it? Well, it was contingent upon the Israelites that when they had the seven festivals, they were supposed to remember them. Passover, Pentecost, Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Tabernacles, Dedication, and Purim. All of these were to be kept so that the generations following would remember what had taken place. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say, remember the birth of Jesus, but we do it anyhow. Why? So we can pass this on from generation to generation. Now, with that, there's a message that comes. The importance of the birth of Jesus, there, there's one reason why he came to die, or he came to live, he came to die. That's the reason he came. And why did he come to die? To be that ultimate sacrifice. If you guys know the Romans road, the Romans road is Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, and also Romans 10.13. If you understand what that is, all men have fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has invaded because of the one man, Adam, and a result of that sin, death has come. And then because of that, everybody is under judgment. And unless we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, because there's no one righteous, no, not one. There is only one who is good, and that is Jesus Christ. We are all sinful. If somebody says, oh, that's such a good person. Oh, contraire, not a good person. There is no one who is good. And God declares this. It's not that we say it, it's God declares it. And he says, we are all under a curse, and we are all in danger of being judged for all of eternity, separated from God. And so he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's how we get into eternity with God. If we fail to do that, we're responsible for our own decision. It's not that God says, I don't accept you. God will accept anybody who comes to him. God is not willing that any should perish. And so it is incumbent upon us, and the, the, the act is called repentance, where we turn to God and we say, Will you forgive me, God, for my sins? Will you be Lord of my life? That is how we get saved. Again, those people who don't do that, don't go to heaven. And anybody who wants to go to heaven and live forever, they can where there's no more mourning, tears, sorrow, pain, death. It all goes away and we no longer have the sinful nature. That is our hope of the birth of Jesus. If he never came, we would all still be lost. Because he provided the perfect sacrifice that was necessary. So where does that bring us? That brings us to a place of rejoicing. Scripture says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you turn to Psalm 145, it's praise the Lord. Psalm 146, praise the Lord all the way through. We're to be happy and rejoice because we have gotten something that is so precious that no human being can give to us that we get to live forever. And that's why we tell everybody. If people don't accept it, well, they don't have to accept it. God is not going to force anybody. My prayer is that for you, you've accepted Jesus Christ. You said, I believe that I'm a sinner, and the only way I can get to heaven is by the grace of God and his mercy given towards me, that he is my Lord and the one that I submit to. That is incumbent upon us to do that if we want to be saved. That is the conclusion of the matter. And what we're going to do at this time 
is all of us in here who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are going to participate in remembering not only his birth, but his death, burial, and resurrection by the receiving of communion. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to play a song. And as we're playing the song, if you need to turn to God and say, God, thank you for this Christmas time, but also thank you for the forgiveness, and will you forgive me of these sins, X, Y, and Z, and just spell them out to God. If you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. So as we sing this and as this is being passed out, please hold on to the elements until we can participate in receiving them together. <laughs> 